Hi, this is Father Nathan, and I welcome you to this next installment of the Joyful Friar podcast. In this series, I'm telling stories that are already written in one of my books. This one is Afterlife Interrupted, book one, Helping Stuck Souls Crossover. There's a second book in that series. The story that I'm going to share today is from book one. If you're familiar with the work that my prayer partners and I do, in short, uh, we've been given by the Holy Spirit, I believe, um, work to do for people who died sudden violent deaths, who were healthy, alert in one kind of consciousness, one moment and out of body because of a trauma, the next. What happens for me is that about once a week, someone comes in the night, moves into my dreaming, and unlike a regular dream that I have, I receive from them what they, the content that they put into my stream of consciousness. So I see these experiences of all kind of, uh, of violent occurrences. I write them down in a journal. I pray for that person. I schedule an appointment as soon as I can with a prayer partner or partners. We go into protected prayer, surrounding ourselves by the um, love and the the, the uh, power of the angels and saints. Then we get to work. I allow my voice to be borrowed by that person long enough to tell their story. I believe that's a gift of prophecy. It's um, mentioned in the letters of St. Paul in the New Testament. Uh, we hear the person's story. I record those and get the recordings transcribed, and those become uh, chapters that are available in the book. So today I'm going to share the story of Ronnie, which you can learn more about in its fullness by uh, reading for yourself, or if you like uh, audiobooks, I particularly enjoy listening to the audiobook version. This version was read in part by my dear friend Laura Dunham, who died in 2019. So I, I love to hear her voice. So I, I just was listening to it in preparation for this podcast today. In fact, I just told this story at the annual convention of IANDS, that's I-A-N-D-S, the International Association for Near-Death Studies. I was given an hour-long breakout session at the convention in Salt Lake City. And embedded in my presentation, I chose to do uh, a little choral reading of parts of the story of Ronnie, and that was very well received. So in short, uh, I had this dream of uh, that big tsunami that happened in 2004. In fact, it was the day after Christmas when this enormous earthquake hit offshore uh, in Indonesia. It sent tsunami waves all over the Indian Ocean and killed one quarter of a million people. Do you remember that? Fewer alive uh, and paying attention at the time. It was a, a worldwide catastrophe. Well, anyway, that's uh, Ronnie's little story was part of that much bigger story. Here's, here's how she presented that in a dream that I received and wrote down in my journal. I was a young girl enjoying a morning at the beach near a resort hotel. I knew that I was in Sri Lanka, the island nation south of India. All at once, an enormous wave swelled up and swamped everyone and everything in sight. 
I was carried out into the sea, bobbing among trees and debris of every kind. The air was filled with roaring sounds and the screams of those being swept away. Well, it was colossally tragic. I woke from it and as I said, wrote it down, got with a prayer partner, did our protective prayer and invited Ronnie to borrow my voice long enough to make herself heard so that my prayer partners and I could see how we might help her move along. We're confident that in the afterlife, there's a team of healers that take care of these ones that arrive so wounded. And we've learned over time that the one who has come to me and, and to my partners has already been through a continuum of care. Imagine something like the equivalent of an afterlife uh, ambulance, an emergency room, uh, intensive care unit, step-down rooms, private rooms, all the way to the day that you're ready to leave the hospital. It's a little like that. They've needed extra care because the, of the extraordinary violence of the way that they left here. And just we're not ready to bound into the afterlife and all of its opportunities. They needed a gradual opportunity to heal, regroup. Um, you know, Catholics use the word purgatory to describe kind of an in-between state. Um, that means to purge. Purge means to clean. Sometimes people have a feeling that they need to uh, uh, step out of dirty clothes, which is one of the ways that Ronnie used a metaphor to talk about what she was doing. Sometimes uh, they really feel like they need to shower. Some, you know, you, you, you probably have used some sort of metaphor of cleansing to describe something other than actual bathing. We do it in baptism in the Christian church, for example. We call it the baptism, the, the bath of baptism. Well, anyway, um, Ronnie had this awful experience happen, and we let her speak through. And the basics of it were this. Ronnie was 12 going on 20. She explained to us that she was the only child of two Indian parents who were both very well educated. Uh, they were not going to have other children. They were on a holiday, uh, at, staying at a beach resort, a, a tower next to a beach. She was forbidden to go to the beach without them. She's only 12 years old. But this beautiful Sunday morning, her parents were sleeping in. She was The beach was just calling out to her, and she just decided to disobey them and go to the beach and deal with it later. She got down to the beach just in time to be swept out to sea. But her troubles didn't end there. In her own consciousness, I mean, she was with all these other people who died in the same event, but it, but it wasn't, it, it, we can all experience a thing collectively and then each still have very highly individualized ways of, of responding to it. And that was the case for Ronnie. She died being disobedient. And for her, that was enormous that she was colossally, uh, cosmically disobedient with a capital D. She went on to explain that uh, as uh, the young Asian woman that she was and talking to Westerners like me, that, that in Asian culture, respect for the elders takes on a, a very large role and she had disobeyed them, dishonored them, and died doing so. She also felt that 
she had deprived them of their only child and any grandchildren that they might have had. So she had altered their lives in just an awful, irredeemable way. And for that, she should be punished. Or at least she shouldn't uh, traipse into the afterlife and enjoy some sort of um, whatever it is that, that might await us. Well, she was cared for in, in her afterlife, and she was brought along. She really needed to be shown that, yes, there was a truth underneath this um, judgment that she had imposed upon herself, but it was outsized. It was too large, uh, too comprehensive, and it needed to be moderated some. So I remember um, uh, putting the question to her, getting the question you know, into the record, if I, Ronnie, had known you and seen you behave so grossly disobediently to your parents, would I have loathed you? Would you have just been shameful for the way that you were known to treat your parents? Well, she came back saying, oh, no, 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 it wasn't that at all. I was really mostly obedient. It's just that I was impatient. I felt like they were from another generation and they didn't understand that these were modern times. I could be raised differently than they had been raised uh, and that they ought uh, not be so strict with me. And she said, I've had time to think about it. She meant in the afterlife. And she said, I was only 12 years old, even though I wanted to be 20. She said, it was only reasonable what they were doing. I would not have allowed any 12-year-old of mine to go in a, in a foreign country, go to the beach by herself. But that's what she had done. So we, we helped her see that, yes, you were colossally unlucky. You, you were disobedient. But on the whole, you were a really decent person and daughter and the bigger question was now that you are in your afterlife and you know that you're not moving because you won't be moved from this idea of yours that you're um, that you committed this gross act of insubordination toward your parents. Are you really are you ready to give that up or do you want to persist in this thinking that has you stuck? Well, what would you say? Have you ever been in some circumstance where you just had some certitude about yourself and about your life that made you miserable and got you stuck and kept you stuck? Did anybody come along to you and suggest, you know, there's a kernel of truth to the way you're thinking and acting, but it's making you miserable. Could you possibly reframe this and think of it in a different way? I believe that's often the work of good counselors. I've been on the receiving end of good counsel and I've been a pastoral counselor for decades. Sometimes I think another point of view, some good questions, uh, get, giving people little scenarios of how things might be different or they to allow in a new thought. That's what worked with Ronnie. That's really all it took. Um, she, um, in the end, still needed to make a passage. There's something that is um, has to do with space or at least wavelengths, levels, uh, What from what I've seen. I've been doing this work for about 25 years. 
there does seem to be movement from place to place or level to level. Oftentimes, uh, Catholic children, at least when I was a child, we were taught to think of the movement between purgatory and heaven as like crossing an international border, leaving this country and going into a next land. Well, that's one more way of thinking of it. But there's something where the people that we help have been on this therapeutic level, but they've healed. They don't need to be on this therapeutic level anymore. And they're really ready for what we often think uh, the grandeur, the adventure of the afterlife might be. Many of us have been trained to think of all the joys of heaven and all the many opportunities that await. Well, as I said earlier, the people that we're dealing with were so traumatized at the time they left their body, they really weren't ready for big adventures. They needed something intermediate and they got it. Our job was just to kind of help them wrap up, conclude that phase, and move on to the next grand thing. We often have said to people, uh, can you think of anyone who loved you, who died before you did, who you might be willing to have come for you, if, where, if you were to ask them if they would please uh, guide you and, and show you to uh, your next place? That was what we did with Ronnie. But she told us, well, I've done what you suggested but I'm not getting one person. I'm not getting one family member. I'm getting all of them. Her experience was that her ancestors, she used a bowling analogy and asked, have you ever gone bowling? You know, the way there's one pin in the front and then two and then three and then four. She said, it's like that. It's my family members lined up in a wedge like that. But they're going back into infinity. They don't know. They, I don't know all them, but they all know me. And they're communicating with their presence that I belong to all of them. I belong to the one. So she felt when it was time to move that she simply took her place that was prepared for her. She wasn't thought of as some um, disobedient disgrace at all. She was just Ronnie a member of our family. That's the way her story flowed. I don't tell any of these stories publicly on podcasts or in books until I've first gotten that person's permission to tell that story. That doesn't seem like an appropriate thing to be talking about right in the midst of their movement. Oh, don't leave yet, Ronnie. I, I want to write a book. I, I wonder if you'd be in it. Uh, we, we wait some time for that. And then if I ask the Holy Spirit, whose stories would be most helpful to people that might care about this message? And I wait for them to surface kind of in my own imagination. And then I go in prayer with partners and simply ask, may I speak to Ronnie, please? It's not summoning. I'm not demanding anybody do anything. I'm just saying, I, I'd like to talk to my friend Ronnie if she's available. And she was. She made herself available quite quickly. She had told us that she was interested in writing a book of her own. Uh, and uh, we offered, why don't you help us with this one? In fact, should you buy the book up in the front? Uh, I give her credit as what I called afterlife editor, Ronnie. Uh, she still has aspirations of writing a book in the afterlife. And I've told her I'd love to read it <laughs> when she gets it done. But she left us with a sentiment when she was um, when she was giving us permission, and she already had said yes, and the conversation was beginning to kind of uh, 
and and she knew that we had other people we needed to talk to. She said, um, um, I have one message to leave for anyone who who hears my story. For now, tell them it doesn't matter what religion you are or what you think about it. You will live after you die. Even if you die in a way that seems colossally tragic, you step out of that. You'll walk out of that like one might walk out of dirty clothes and go on. Well, that in short is the story of Ronnie. Again, you can read it in greater length in Afterlife Interrupted, book one. But that's the gist of it. So that's it for this particular podcast. In the two that will follow, in the next one, we'll take this same story and I'm going to share questions that have arisen from it from people who've heard this story and have communicated with me, usually through my website. So there'll be questions that, and I call this next section compassionate response to questions that this story provoked. And then immediately after that, another podcast will be spiritual practice that uh, might somehow attend this story. Some spiritual practice from the Catholic Christian tradition in which I'm raised that I offer you that might become a part of the way that you operate in the world. So for now, uh, that's it for this time. If you'd like to be in touch, my website is nathan-castle.com, N-A-T-H-A-N-C-A-S-T-L-E.com. Go onto the website and on the bar at the top, look for the contact button. Click there. It'll give you a little form to create an email. Send me uh, any question or comment that you have about uh, this podcast. And uh, again, if you want to know more about this story, story listen to uh, the next one. God bless you for now. Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Joyful Friar. You can visit me at nathan-castle.com. Send me a message by clicking the contact button. If you'd like to support this podcast, you can make a donation by clicking the donate button. See you next time. God bless.